Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'd like to ask you to stay with me. It's going to be a time of motivation, inspiration, education, and we always do that without any type of manipulation. We don't try to hustle money. We're not asking you to join anything. We're not trying to build a mailing list. We're just simply here to give you accurate information, <clears throat> hopefully information that will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you can do that, then you have the freedom and the privilege to orient and adjust to the plan. That's my job. Get it right, get it accurate, and give it to you in such a way that it makes sense. Sometimes people tell me these words. They say, you don't, you didn't tell me something I didn't already know, but you put it in a way I've never really heard it put before. I don't know what that means, except this is the way God gives me the ability to explain the scriptures to you. And just like you, I must stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like you, I must grow every day in God's word. Just like you, I have a spiritual gift. My spiritual gift is a gift of evangelism. Yours may be a different spiritual gift. Some people have the gift of giving. Some people have the gift of help. Some people have the gift of mercy. Some people actually have the gift of pastor-teacher. And I don't know what your spiritual gift is, and it's not necessary for you to know it, I don't guess, but I remember when I discovered exactly what my gift was, what God had equipped me to do why he left me here, what my mission in life was. And it's an exciting thing when you really understand that. We call that a personal sense of destiny. It's a tremendous problem-solving device once you walk through the door of your personal sense of destiny and you leave your agenda behind, and for the first time you live your life on God's agenda. What is it God left you here to do? What does God want you to do? That's a question you should be able to answer. Because we only have so much time on this sin-infested planet. While we're here, it's critical as humans that we adhere to certain principles, certain concepts that are related to time as we live in time. So uh, if we hope to have happiness while we travel through this sin-infested planet, we have to learn some things. And that's why we started teaching you these concepts that we went through on what time is it We're dealing with the series of time. We've been doing a series of studies on time. And uh, I intended to highlight several things that were necessary for you to make the most of your time that God gave you in phase two. Phase one, that's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the time that you get saved. But phase two is what do you do after you get saved? What's my life about? Where am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to think? And then phase three is obviously eternity, where there's no more tear, no more pain, no more sorrow, and the old things are passed away. Well, we're not in phase three yet. Not yet. You're listening. I'm talking, so we're still here. But in these phase two situation, we've talked about being punctual. We've talked about having patience. We've talked about what's priority in your life. We've talked about what's prudent or faithfulness. We've talked about your perspective in life. And then we got into talking about God and, and as far as Paul was concerned, his perspective in life too. 
And I gave you a verse last week. We talked about Paul's perspective. And this is what Paul said. If I look back at my notes, this is what he said. In Philippians 3.8, he said, I count everything but for the loss of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. It's all worthless, he said. I've suffered the loss of all things. I count everything but dung that I may win Christ. If I put it in a different translation called God's Word Translation, it says it's far more than that. And he went on to say, I consider everything else worthless. Uh, I'm much better off knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's because of him that I think of everything as worthless. I threw it all away in order to gain Christ. So in Paul's perspective, and remember Paul wrote over half of the New Testament, in Paul's perspective, self-confidence meant nothing. He lists what he could be confident in if he wanted to, and you have things in your life that could give you confidence. You could say, well, I've been a great church member, and I've never missed church. I've, I've been this. I've been that. I've been a great faithful tither. I've, I've been faithful to uh, raise my kids right. I've been faithful to do this and do that. We all have things that we're proud of. We all have things that we think would make us, you know, impressive to God. And, you know, some people say, I've never smoked. I've never drank. I've read the Bible through every year. Is God impressed with these things? Well, some of them are certainly honorable things. But listen to what Paul said. He said, uh, all these things in my past, and he is talking about the religious things that he had as he was raised to be a Pharisee. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day out of the stock of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of all Hebrews, and as touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. These are the people that gave the Lord Jesus Christ the biggest headache that he's ever seen. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, he called them snakes and vipers. He had eight woes that he gave on those Pharisees and scribes. You should read it and see, because these were the people who plotted his death. These are the ones that hated him. Even though he came and he was God in the flesh, and even though he demonstrated that by the miracles that he did, they hated him. And they assassinated him. They plotted his death. He told the disciples they were going to do that. And he told Jerusalem that he wept over Jerusalem. He said, I wish you could come to me like chicks to a hen, but you've walked away. You've rejected me. And it was 70 years later that Jerusalem was, in fact, destroyed under Titus, a Roman emperor, in 70 AD. So here is a Pharisee. Here is a self-righteous man. He said, concerning zeal, I even persecuted the early church. He was there when they stoned Stephen. He said, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. In other words, I never violated the law at all. So I was circumcised the eighth day. That's infant baptism, I guess. I obeyed all the laws. That's moral do-gooder. I had zeal for God. It means he was very zealous, but doesn't mean he was accurate, but he was zealous. And that's a tragedy, because I've met a lot of zealous Christians in my life, people that are really, quote, fired up for Jesus. And you ever met those sort of people? Hello, brother. I mean, they are so fired up for Jesus, it's scary. But they're not accurate. Many of them are not accurate. The spiritual life must be presented accurately. And you don't live it on the basis of emotion. 
You don't run around all day long. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. It's so great to see you. What a wonderful day. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Remember Apollos in Acts 18, 24 through 28? He was a very zealous preacher, but he was not an accurate preacher. He was preaching John's baptism, was not even aware that Christ had come and been crucified and resurrected. And Aquila and Priscilla had to pull him off to the side. And it says they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So here is the principle. It's entirely possible to have zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ, but to have inaccurate information regarding the spiritual life. Why is that possible? Because Satan assaults truth on a daily basis. See, here's what he wants to do. He wants to mislead you. If he can mislead you by misinforming you, then you will be misguided. Mislead you by misinforming you, you will be misguided, and you will misrepresent the plan of God to those that you come in contact with. Misrepresenting the plan of God is a dangerous thing because when you presume to speak for God, when you presume to tell someone this is the way the Bible says you should do it, and if it's not right and it's not accurate, you are misrepresenting God and misleading people. And that's what Satan never stops doing. Point one, Satan assaults truth on a daily basis. Two, he never stops trying to lure you away from truth by distracting you with issues that are non-essential, unimportant. And three, you must review your perspective if you want to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And that means, are you accurately representing him to the world? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day while we were fishing. And he's a, a fairly young Christian, and he's excited about going to his church. And we were talking about some things, and I just stopped the boat, and I looked at him, and I said, now let's assume that I'm one of your friends, and I'm not a Christian, and I come to you, and I tell you that I would like to be saved like you are. Can you tell me how to be saved? And you won't believe what he said. He said to me, well, the uh, first thing is, uh, is you have to repent of your sins. You have to go to God and admit your sins. <laughs> That's not correct. My sins were paid for on the cross. Your sins were paid for on the cross. Our sins are not the issue in our salvation. Our sins have already been dealt with. Well, what exactly is the issue? Well, let's go back to John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does 1 John 5, 1 say? He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What did Acts 16:38? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The issue is always this. He that believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he that believes not, the wrath of God abides on him already. So the issue is, who is Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God? Do you believe that? I asked a young man that one time, do you believe Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God? And he looked at me and he said, well, I don't know how you could rightly believe that. Well, that man was not saved. He is not a Christian. If you ask someone, what does it take to be saved? The answer should be simply, 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I willingly accept him as my Savior. What is he saving me from? Well, he's paid for my sin. He went to the cross and died for me. My judgment has been paid. God judged him. That's why the Bible says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. If I want to be saved, I don't have to repent of my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been sinful. I simply go to the Savior. And as the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I go to the Savior and I express my faith in prayer. And I simply say, Father, I believe Jesus Christ is your son. And I am willing to accept him as my Savior. Now, some people will say, and make him my Lord. You can't make Christ Lord. He's already the Lord. What you're simply saying is, I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to be his disciple, his learner. I want to learn his word. Well, that's good. That's what you should do. So when I asked this person this question, he wasn't accurate. And so we talked a little bit about it, and he understood that. And And then I ask him the second question. Well, let's assume I am a Christian, and I want to be a good Christian. What should I do to be a good Christian? And the answer, again, was wrong. Well, you should do this and do that and do this and do that. And by the time the list runs out, I would go crazy trying to do everything because I know I couldn't do all those things. And what he didn't tell me, he didn't mention to me, was that first of all, You have to learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first problem-solving device you must ever learn is you still have a sin nature, and you will commit sin, and you have to learn how to deal with that sin because when you sin, you quench God's Holy Spirit, and you grieve God's Holy Spirit, and you break fellowship with God in time. So God gave you a way to be... (coughs) God gave you a way to be cleansed. And that's simply if you go to 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. Excuse me. I had to take a drink. And so that's the way it goes. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you cannot have unconfessed sin in your life because if you do, then you are out of fellowship with God And you cannot grow as a Christian. See, think about the the letter Z in your mind. Picture Z for Zorro. Remember this, that the pastor communicates the word of God to you. That's the first part of the letter Z. If you go across the top part of the Z, the Holy Spirit will capture what the pastor communicates. Now, if he's not in control of your life because you have unconfessed sin in your life, He can't capture anything because he's quenched and he's grieved. But if he's not quenched and grieved because you've dealt with any known sin in your life, then once he captures it, he can bring it to your mind where you comprehend it. Now, that's not all of it. That's the bottom part of the Z. Now, let's go across the bottom part of the Z. Once you comprehend it, then you have to comply with the information. So that's the process for living the Christian life. The pastor communicates the word of God. The Holy Spirit captures it. You comprehend it and you comply. As you grow, 
you learn to live like Christ. The first thing you learn to live then is think a different way, to think in terms of divine viewpoint and not human viewpoint. And that means let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5. Or Romans 12, 3, stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance beyond what you should think. And so God has a new way he wants you to think. He has a new way he wants you to live. He wants you to live under grace and biblical orientation. So he wants you to live under grace orientation and doctrinal orientation so that you begin to exploit grace, you begin to live in grace, share grace, and you begin to study the scriptures earnestly on a daily basis. Anyhow, it's not that complicated, but if you tell me, well, you know, you got to go to church every Sunday, okay, I'll do that. And you got to pray every day, okay, I'll do that. And you got to read your Bible every day, okay, I'll do that. And then you can't sin, you know, okay, what's sin? Well, uh, is eating an apple a sin? Oh, yeah, eating apples a sin. What about, oh, yeah, you can't eat oranges either. And so you got all these little sins you can't do out here that are not in the Bible, by the way. They're just sins that somebody doesn't like, so they throw them at you. And so before long, you got about 15 things you got to do to be a good Christian. That's not the Christian life. There's only one thing you got to do. That's stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will obey the mandate to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to be a good Christian? Stay filled with the Spirit. Get under the ministry of a well-qualified pastor. Listen to God's Word and grow up. What you learn, you apply. What, what, what you comprehend, you comply with. So you've got to review your perspective if you want to be an effective witness for Christ so that you can accurately represent him to the world. You don't want to tell somebody, do you want to be saved? Yeah, I'd like to be saved. I'd like to go to heaven. Okay, now here's what you got to do. You've got to confess all your sins to God, invite Jesus into your heart, repent of your sins, and... Nobody can do all that stuff. That's not what the Bible says. It's simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Is he the Son of God, or is he not? Are you willing to accept him as your Savior, or are you not? It's that simple. How do you accept him? Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What am I supposed to believe? He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, 1 John 5, 1. It's that simple. And when it happens, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm to grow in the grace and the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. So once we do these things, then we begin to effectively represent Christ in the devil's world. And you are dangerous. Satan won't like you for that. So you have to reinstitute your affections too, by the way. Get your affections right. What's your number one priority in your life? That's my question for you today. What is your number one priority in your life? Here's what the Bible says. In Mark 12:30, or Deuteronomy 6, 5, where it came from, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul and your mind, and with all your strength. That's where your priority has to be. Personal love for God. And you can't love him if you don't know him. Personal love for God. You see, that is the motivation that causes you to be obedient. Personal love for God is motivational virtue in your life. 
In 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God. Here's a test. You want to see it? This is the love of God that we keep his mandates and his mandates are not a burden. So if you love God, you will obey God. You're obeying God because you love him. You don't want to disappoint him. You love him and you're going to do everything you can to have his blessing and to hear him say, well done. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my mandates. One of the great problems in the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 4, was this very thing. The Lord Jesus Christ said, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, and that's Christ. He's speaking. He speaks to the church at Ephesus and to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Listen to his words. I know your deeds, your toil, and your patience, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, but they're not, and you found them to be false. And you have patience, and you have endured for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You left your first love. See, here is a letter of commendation, but here's a point of condemnation. You left your first love. The motivation for why you do what you do. Do you really love God? Listen to me today. Do you really love God? Because if you really love God and you really appreciate God, you wouldn't do what you're doing right now. You wouldn't allow yourself to be sucked into what you've allowed yourself to get into. You would go to your father right now and you would admit your sin. You would tell him exactly what's going on in your life. And he will be faithful and just to forgive you. And you will find out where you can start getting some answers to why you do what you do and how you stop doing what you do and how you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can help you with those answers. I can give you information that will help you but I can't give it to you if I don't hear from you. So keep that in mind. John now is directed to write to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and those were the words of the Lord. That's a perfect picture of how God's omniscience controls the direction in which the pastor leads his congregation. He's he's directing him, wait a minute, you're doing all these things, all the right things, but you're doing them for the wrong reasons. See, that's how the Lord Jesus Christ oversees and protects his body of believers called the church. They are condemned for their hard, they're commended, excuse me, for their hard work, uh, but they're condemned for their lack of love. So their issue that they had to deal with wasn't their skills, it was their motivation. Personal love for God should be your motivation for everything that you do. Paul warned pastors and believers in Ephesus way before this was written to beware of the wolves, the canine clergy that would attack them as soon as Paul left town. And listen to what he said in Acts 20, 29. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you and they won't spare the flock. Their condemnation was not the lack of faith or trust but the lack of occupation with Jesus Christ. That was the condemnation. They were not occupied with Christ. 
Listen to 1 Peter 1, 8. Even though you have not seen him, you love him. That's occupation with Christ. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, and you greatly rejoice with inexpressible happiness and full of glory. These are the mandates. To be occupied with Christ. To love him. Hebrews 12, 2. Concentrate on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our doctrine, who became the exhibited happiness, and he endured the cross and disregarded the shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. You want to focus on something? You want to make something priority in your life? Be concentrating on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our salvation. How do you concentrate on Christ? You stay filled with the Spirit, and you learn God's Word. My very own pastor has been teaching a study in the life of Christ. I would encourage you to get the study. By the way, we're up to a 1,000 hours. That's right, a 1,000 hours in the life of Christ. You say, how could anybody study the life of Christ for a 1,000 hours? Well, get the tapes and listen, you'll see. You will learn so much like I have learned. If you're occupied with Christ, you must know what he thought, what he did, where he went, who he was, why he did these things. In 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify or set apart is more important than anything else. Sanctify, make this the number one thing in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts. So God makes a direct positive demand for you, a demand on your volition to be occupied with Christ. It's a mandate to be consistent in the intake and the metabolization of his word. Be occupied with Christ. Set him apart. Occupation with Christ, when you allow yourself to be occupied with Christ, it takes precedence over occupying yourself with people. It takes precedence over being occupied with circumstances because Christian fellowship is no substitute for occupation with Christ. Hence, you can have all the social intercourse with Christians you want, but it's never a substitute for learning Bible doctrine in your life. That is the most critical thing for you, to be occupied with Christ, to have your priorities in order, so that while you are here in the devil's world, then you're going to be doing the right thing in the right way. Remember this, God's protocol plan demands a right thing be done in a right way. A right thing done in a wrong way is still obviously wrong. But a right thing done in a right way, well, that'll get you a howdy. Well done, my good and my faithful servant. Until next week, I hope you'll come back and I hope you'll keep listening. But until next week, I'm your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.